Okay. Oma gyanati mirandasya gyananjana salakaya chakshurun militam yena tasmai shigurave namaha. Siddhantot palasara nityarasikam hamsam bilasatmakam audariyakka sudhama sevakathanam mishramba bhakti pradam. Yachna yukti vichakshana dvagaviro vaisista saktya sada vandeham tripurari namakaya tim sri bhakti vedantinam. Vande si Krishna Chaitanya Nityananda Sahorito Gauradaya Pushpavanta Chitra Sandhauta Monurao Vandeham Sri Ramakrishna Abhaya Charana Sakhao Sukharao Paramananda Sundaro Subalapriyo Aho Bhagyam Aho Bhagyam Nanda Gopa Brajakasham Yanmitram Paramanandam Purna Brahma Sanatanam he Krishna Karuna Sindhu, Dinabandu Jagatate, Gopesha Gopika Kanta, Radha Kanta Namustate. Tapta Kandana Gorangi, Radhe Vrindavaniswari, Prisabhanu Sutadevi, Pranamami Hari Priye. Shaguru Maharaj Ki Jai, Shri Vaishnav Sangha Ki Jai. All right, let's get started here. Um, so first of all, I think I'd like to start with the same way we started last uh, last week, and that was the collective recap of what we uh, talked about last week. And um, actually, I think I want to give Sakharati the mic, and uh, let's hear what your mom said about um, about the people, uh, dead people, uh, dying people's regrets. Mm. to yeah. you, all devotees, and. Um... She gave me a very different answer from what I was expecting. <laughs> uh -huh. And uh, she said that generally uh, people don't accept the way they're dying. So they are in denial of everything. So they are kind of um, against everything surrounding. Huh. But, uh, but sometimes there are people who actually perform their dharma and of course they have to die of something. So they really go very in a very peaceful way. Hmm. Like she can see they don't suffer so much and, uh, and these things. Then she gave me four very different examples. Like one lady she arrived there and my mom asked her oh maybe you can start thinking about what you want in your next life you know <laughs> and she was super christian she didn't really um <laughs> follow her, um, her talks but then after she starts saying in the next life i want to have high heels and a taller husband <laughs> and you then, won't have that problem <laughs> 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 yeah and um and then she kept saying these things for two days mm. and wow. and then she died like very mm. short after so in this case my mom was saying that sometimes it's just so easy there are things that you can kind of solve just by talking mm. but you, for some you know in this region where she lives in italy like until 40 years ago women were very kind of um oppressed right uh, right yeah 
So maybe that was the reason or whatever. Mm. Then there was another lady who came with the cancer in the uterus. And she, from the first day, she kept saying she wanted to have more kids. <laughs> she wanted to have kids. And my mom didn't even understand that she actually had one. But, um, but she was just keep saying, oh, in this life, I should have more kids and this and that. And um, the fact that also she had uh, cancer in her uterus, it was also a sign that she never overcome that that need so my mm. mom say that sometimes we can't follow our regrets our desire but we just have to accept what god give us because mm. i'm sure she tried to have kids you know yeah yeah and then there was another very extreme experience that i don't know if i should say <laughs> extreme is good <laughs> <laughs> like okay so I will give a small disclaimer at the beginning, like uh, she and all her colleagues, they always very often experience like ghost experiences. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. Yeah. But very, like, very visibly, like it's not just some thoughts or something. So one time there was a lady and she was always complaining that she was asking my mom what you're doing in life what this what that and my mom was telling her I'm working here doing that and uh, she was she's without a husband or partner so she was super um, attracted by that the old lady she was like oh I wish I could have done that but no I, I was had I had to work in the fields for my husband and do, 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 do. and then uh, one day she died mm. and when my mom was visiting another lady this other lady was saying why did you come with her and my mom was like well whatever she was alone <laughs> And, and then she was keep saying, you, you can't come here with other people. Like you're a nurse, you, you have to take care of me. And my mom just say, yeah, this, who is this person? And then she started describing her and it was this other lady wow. who died. And then she said that other weird things were happening, like the handle of the door, just rolling <laughs> things like that. Yeah for three days and she said that she just understood that this lady really wanted to see what was to be an independent woman oh yeah 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 just looking what my mom was doing <laughs> around her day yeah and then and then after three days it just disappeared wow that's so interesting there's a really good uh, documentary on netflix called surviving death i don't know if you've got guys have seen it it's all about these, it, it has like four or five episodes and they're like, one is about reincarnation. They have all these amazing, like actual, they go and interview people who remember their past lives and it's been able, like it's been demonstrated that they remember it right. There's one about like dying and coming back and experiences. There's all these like amazing, and it's all like kind of indisputable because it's, um, you know, they've, it's the, the documentarian, him or herself, it's like semi-skeptical but like then he or she i don't know who it is but they just show like the actual data so anyway that's an interesting side point 
Uh, Sarah Zane is saying in the comments, can you repeat what people don't accept? The speech broke up. Pranam, sorry. Uh, yeah, uh, people don't ac accept uh, the way they're dying, especially when they are young, whatever they have, a cancer or whatever disease, they are in total denial, like they don't accept that, that they are going to die. And this is, um, this shouldn't happen. Yeah, a lot of times they are, I've heard they're like really bitter and like resentful and stuff. And they like fight against the fact that, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's kind of a shame in a lot of ways. I hope none of us die that way, <laughs> kicking and screaming. Yeah. Well, thanks for that. That was awesome, Sakura. It's really, really good to have that kind of like actual, like um, somebody who's, you know, your mom's there like every day seeing this stuff happen. And uh, if anybody else has any other points that they remember from the class um, last week or the, the points about how this death focus or like not focus, but this like death meditation helps us do what we want to do as sadhakas, then I'd love to hear from anybody who has some points, especially points that meant something to you personally or you found helpful, helpful in your own life. Again, me. <laughs> yeah, good. Somebody <laughs> say something. I would like to share something because um, I asked Shamananda also what he would change in his life. And yeah. he answered pretty much like you. He said, I'm very happy <laughs> and I wouldn't change anything, you know? <clears throat> and personally, I also wouldn't change anything. Maybe I would focus more on something without long term. Uh, uh, gold mm -hmm. but my idea was like yeah but I I have to think about how like shaman about him like who will cook for him you know who will do this <laughs> and this and that but then thinking about what my mom said mm. then I just realized that it's just more healthy to think the way you and shamananda talk because mm. then I still have the attachment and it's material attachment. Maybe next time he won't be my husband, you know? And uh, so I really appreciate your answer. Thank you. You know, yeah, I thought about it more. Like if I was actually honest with my answer, I did realize that I, I keep myself too busy. I would change that for sure. I'd spend more time with Guru Marsh and Brindarania because now it's just like, bam, 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 you know? And we're going to be talking about that actually. <laughs> This class is all about that, like living a balanced life that you actually also go forward with uh, what you want to accomplish in life. But yeah, that was really good. Thanks a lot for that. Appreciate it. And if nobody else has anything to add, then I guess we'll just dive into the class, what I have here. Let me take my notes here. And since I like telling stories, I'd like to start the... Uh, class number three with uh, the fable, Aesop's fable about the farmer and the golden uh, golden goose. So once upon a time, there was this uh, farmer somewhere in central California. And um, he was really poor. You know, it was times were tough. You know, gov the government, go Governor Newsom had turned off the water spigots for the 
breadbasket of the US, you know, that like Central Valley area. And the guy was really struggling. And um, his kids went a little hungry and his wife didn't have nice clothes and everything. And one morning, the farmer was doing his daily rounds, you know, he'd go to the cows, he'd go to the pigs, and then he would go to the hen house. And then he went to the hen house and all of a sudden there's a, like a golden egg under one hen. And he first, he was like, oh, it's probably, probably like rotten or something because it's this weird color. And he's about to like chuck the whole egg. But then he was like, well, I mean, no, it's crazy, but let's just take it to the appraisers and see what it is actually. And then sure enough, it turned out to be pure gold. And the guy couldn't believe his luck. He was like, what happened? Like, this doesn't happen, but it seems to be real. So he cashed it and started buying stuff. He bought, you know, shoes for his kids, you know, clothes for his wife, got some nice gear for himself. And then next morning, he was like really anxious. He ran straight to the hen house, forgot about the other animals, what, what's happening there. And sure enough, there's another golden egg. And the guy was like, oh my God, this, is, this can't be happening to me. And so again, he cashed the egg and spent all the money and the thing, same thing kept happening over and over again. And the guy, his like, as his money needs grew and he spent too much, but he knew, well, whatever, you know, I'm going to get those eggs every night, every morning. So I can overspend a little bit. And then one day he thought he was a pretty thoughtful guy. So I was like, wait a second. Like, I bet there's this like massive lump of gold inside of this goose. So why don't I just kill the goose and get the gold? So he did it. And you know, ripped open the hen and sure enough, there was nothing but blood and guts. And so he had just killed his, the only source of his income and he owed money. So he ended up in massive debt and uh, no way, no means of making a livelihood. And you might be wondering like, what the heck does this have to do what we're gonna be talking about today? But um, the answer is that, um, this this whole story actually i have to say one thing before i go forward is that in the hindu or in our gordia tradition the exact same kind of like natural law has been told in the story of the half hen logic and i'll quickly go through that if somebody hasn't heard it it's basically this idea that the farmer realizes that he puts food in one end of the hen and then gets the eggs or they're like kind of like the results from one the other end and he figures, well, if I just chop off the head, I'll just have one end that produces and I don't have to put anything in. And then of course, what happens is, you know, he won't get anything from it because he has this idea of like, you know, chopping off like half of the process of producing results. And so really what this, these both stories like uh, really hone in on or like explain is this natural law of effectiveness. And to define the word effectiveness, it basically, let's see what the dictionary says. Um, it's the degree to which something is successful in producing, producing a desired result. So if you say like some treatment is effective, it means that it's actually working on the disease. And so then when, since in this class, we're gonna be talking about how to like effectively use those things that we learned in the first and the second class about First of all, realizing that we are kind of in charge of our own free will and we can choose our, you know, what we want to be. And then once we have that understanding and faith in ourselves as like being agents of our own lives, then we decide who we want to be based on, you know, the right values and principles. And so 
then the effectiveness becomes essential when we uh, start actually executing our lives in the way we want the way we actually want our lives to turn out and and this this principle of uh, effectiveness the cool thing about it and the thing that kind of proves that it is a you could say a natural law is that that same like goose and the golden egg principle you can apply to like almost everything in life like if you start from the very bottom like take like a material asset let's say we have this uh, mule here in Audaria. It's this little buggy, like a four-wheel thing that we haul the dung up and down. We, the cows are up here where I am. And then we throw all the dung in the buggy and then we drive it all the way down the hill. There's this massive like field of cow dung that turns into compost in a couple of years. And so, um, so, so effectiveness is that I, I get the golden egg of being, I don't know, I have to haul all the poop down in a wheelbarrow, which would be rough, but the, the goose, taking care of the goose is that we actually maintain the, the uh, mule. And I have to admit, like, the couple past years, two years have been like super ex, uh, intense here, and I haven't always maintained the, the mule. And that's like, kind of like the half hen logic. I'm just taking the results of this great tool, this, this mule that does so much work for us that saves our trouble so much. I've been just taking the eggs, taking the eggs and neglecting the actual goose, which is of course the mule. So that's one example of like, well, we did take it to full like maintenance yesterday. Chidahari took it into Ukiah. So goose has been taken care of, <laughs> but, um, but uh, it's so easy to just focus on the, the eggs. Like you, you basically try to cheat the system by being like, okay, I just want the results. I don't want to deal with the, the not fun part of like actually maintaining something or taking care of something. And this is like a really, really common tendency in humans in general that we always try to cheat the system because we are like selfishly motivated and we just want the results for ourselves. And so that's like the bottom level of, okay, you got to maintain your assets, like physical assets of, of this effectiveness principle. But then you think about, let's take like, for example, um, sadhana. So the effectiveness principle in sadhana would be that, that you know your adhikar. You basically, you know what kind of eggs you're going to get out of the goose. And then, and then that you work within the parameters of your adhikar so that you don't end up like burning yourself out or like just out of need for whatever it would be like prestige or I mean, sometimes it can be, you know, a good motivation too. you just want to make more progress, but you try to chop off the end that you have to feed, which is your uh, personal well-being and your whatever your adhikar is like your where you're at in bhakti. So you try to get the golden eggs by chanting 128 rounds a day, but you neglect the actual goose of your internal well-being and, and what your actual level is. And the extreme example, of course, is the Sahajias. I mean, talk about the half-hand logic. Basically what they do is they say, oh, I don't, I don't, why do all this like awful renunciation and all this boring, like boring stuff? Why don't we just, you know, have sex with other people's wives and then call that, you know, the highest, highest, you know, uh, attainment. And so you cut off the, the Vairagya side and you just take the so-called Bhakti side, which is really just enjoyment. But they, then you claim that that's the highest, highest attainment. 
So that's like intense, an intense form of uneffectiveness in bhakti because you kill the goose, which means you kill your bhakti by just trying to get the eggs like that. And that certainly happens if you follow that kind of sahaja thing. I mean, like what did uh, Sarabhama Bhattasarantarya say? He said, Vairagya uh, Vidya Nidja Bhakti Yogam. You can't separate the Vairagya and Vidya from Bhakti, although it's internal, it's in it. But you can't just uh, prematurely say, oh, forget about the Vairagya and Vidya. We'll just go for the Bhakti Yoga, you know, so-called Bhakti Yoga. So anyway, so my point is just that this, the golden egg, uh, the goose and the golden eggs, it applies to everything and it's extremely important. I've started using this, uh, this idea in my life like all the time. And I've, uh, me and Brindran and my wife, we, we both do that. And so sometimes I'm just like burning the midnight oil and she goes like, oh, you're, you're an egg hunter, you know, you're like going for the eggs again. And I like immediately, she just says that and I like realize what I'm doing. And so to me, for me personally, it's been extremely useful to just always keep that a goose and the golden eggs story in mind, whatever I do, because it really, if you start thinking about it in your daily life, it pretty much applies to everything. And so it like trains you to not try to cheat the system. It trains you to recognize that there's a process to everything and that you can't skip ahead in the process. It's a step-by-step process. But that being said, that's not an excuse to say that you're balanced, but you're not trying to be progressive. There's a difference between stagnation and balance. So I think that's also an important thing to remember. But I think mostly people have, I would say, problems with, well, maybe not anymore. At least like from the 60s to the 90s, the international devotee scene was very much about trying to uh, go beyond their adhikar and really try to grab the eggs without uh, feeding the goose. So that was just a kind of like a prelude to the class. I, it's very helpful if you guys keep that uh, goose and the golden eggs in mind as I go through the rest of the class. But really what this class is about, you could just condense it in one phrase and that would be that uh, we are learning or like, yeah, learning to put first things first, which basically means that we learn to like prioritize and organize our lives around what's the, the most important thing for us, all the, the, the deepest values that we have. So we put the first things first and don't let all the chaos and all the like urgent things constantly like act upon us in our lives. And it's hard, like, especially in the modern, the modern day, excuse me, it's, um, we like society is so fast paced and, and there's so much going on. It's, it's very hard to like not get caught up in this thing where you just like constantly react to whatever comes your way. And it's easy. Like I've fallen to the, into this trap so many times that I think that, well, that's just the nature of our lives. Like you can't change that, but that's just, there's definitely ways that, that we can um, change the course of like how we behave in terms of uh, whether we react to things or whether we choose to act based on the core principles and values that we have. Um, so I guess I should recap how this all connects between the one, first, second and third class. So in the first class, 
uh, it was all about that to like come become clear about the fact that we have the power to choose and like that we can become self-aware and become aware of all the scripts and paradigms that make us act in ways that are not useful for us and then think about the paradigms that would be really conducive for what we actually want which in our cases where sadhakas is devotion that is like wholesome and integrated to the person that we are as you know embodied beings in this world and the psychology that we have so that's the first part you know we have the power to choose then the second part is like okay you have the power to choose but what are you going to choose who do you want to be like what kind of a person do you want to be what are the deepest values and principles that you really want to embody in your life so then the second part is kind of like the theoretical uh putting together or designing so-called of like of who you who do you want to be and then the third class what we're talking about today is that then you actually organize your life around those two previous things you organize your life around who you really want to be and i think to really get a good idea of of what how those things work together and how they are inseparable from each other you absolutely need all all those different aspects is like if we think about building a house right so first of all you're an average guy, you know, you don't have much money or anything, but then all of a sudden you find out that you have an inheritance you didn't know about. And then so there's like a couple million dollars all of a sudden. And all you've always wanted to have is this like super cool, nice house, right? So then, okay, no, you have, you have the capital to actually actualize it. But then you start thinking like, well, like what kind of a house do I exactly want? So then you go through this whole mental process like we talked about in the previous class there's always like two creations to everything there's the first mental creation and then the actual doing of it so then once you know you have the money you, you really start thinking about like what what kind of a person am i and how would that reflect in the house that i really want to build and so you become completely clear on what you actually want in terms of the house and then you make blueprints that's an important part that you actually write it down and you become completely clear on what you want and it's very useful to actually write it down and have it as a physical almost like a personal constitution or something that because it's so easy to forget when the the everyday like crisis and the chaos kicks in so then you have the blueprints for the house you have the money and then the actual building starts and then you're building it yourself by the way so then, then you have to organize yourself so that you don't get completely frustrated and like just throw away the plans because you thought, oh, it was just a silly idea. You know, I should have known I can't do it because I'm not organized. So I'm just going to live in the little shack that I put together from like corrugated uh, metal and some plywood. So obviously the point is that when we come to the point where we start doing the actual work of, of the everyday life, changing our everyday life to like very nicely embody and, and reflect what we truly want and who we want to be. It's going to go from the planning phase is kind of like this, like right brain activity. If you know the, the concept, like the right brain is the, the creative, imaginative kind of like big picture side. And then the left brain, left part of the brain fun functions based on uh, analysis and breaking things down and the practical practicalities of things. So, so when we do the blueprints, and really like try to visualize what we want. That's a right brain thing. And then once we start doing it, you have to kind of go to your left brain. So it's this like, kind of like a, 
integrated wholesome approach to like using both hemispheres of your brain so to speak to to really get the best out of the capacity that you have overall in your brain right so um so then like for me personally for example i'm a total right brainer by nature and uh it has been very very hard to come to that left side and just like start like really analyzing my life practically and like breaking it down and understanding the sequence of things and how things work in the kind of nitty-gritty and how i can if I harness that understanding, how I can actually like make my life so much more pleasant for both of the hemisphere, not hemispheres, but not just one. And, and of course, way beyond the hemispheres, because what we're doing here is, is uh, Nirgun Bhakti, right? And so, um, so it's, it's totally, absolutely uh, essential. A lot of times, okay, let me, one thing at a time. So it's totally essential to, really understand and integrate the stuff we talked about in the first class and then the stuff we talked about in the second class because without the inheritance and without the blueprints and the, the conceptualization you can't have a beautiful functioning house so a lot of people they only focus on again the golden eggs which is i want to have a beautiful house but what's the actual work that you have to put into your life to get the golden eggs in this case. And it's obviously, it's all the stuff we talked about in class one and two, but it's, there's like such an intense, like, um, what's the English word? Um, temptation to jump over the natural process because you just want the results, right? And that's where we have to rein ourselves in with um discipline basically like self self-discipline that we we look at the situation for what it is and we we don't try to jump ahead but we become sort of like disciples of the process right that that we don't try to cheat ourselves or the system because what ends up happening is then you cut off the hand and the head of the hand <laughs> that's how far your cheating of the system is going to go you're actually going to shoot yourself or I should say, chop yourself in the foot. And so then at this point, when you start executing your lives around your, I mean, your life, when you try to like re kind of structure and organize your life around your deepest principles and values and who you really want to be, then these uh, things like integrity and, uh, and discipline become really important. Um, Integrity, of course, means that you, you're able to like make promises to yourself and others and actually stick to them. You're, you have integrity in that way that, that you don't just say things and not then do them. And so you, you keep your promises to yourself. And then if you fail in keeping your promises, then you quickly try to make amends and, and get back on the program as fast as you can. And uh, so there's a really useful kind of visual graph in the seven habits that talks about um, basically how to view all the time you have in your life in a way that it's then your time is easier to organize into this uh, value-driven principle-centered basically uh, um, whole I guess you could say and let me do the the screen share here 
Uh, so this is gonna look like total pig Latin at first. So let me just explain it to you before you scream and run away in horror. Okay, so do you guys see this like square thing, different things? Okay, good. So it's called the time management matrix, but I'd like to say that that term is like so corporate and awful that let's just call it the self-management matrix. So it's basically split into two different categories. It's either ur like urgency and importance, right? And then, so the, f the these are called quadrants, these different squares, the four squares are like different quadrants, quadrants one, two, three, and four. And um, so then if we start going through these quadrants, the first quadrant here is like you can see from the left and top, it's urgent and important. So quadrant one would be all the stuff in your life that's urgent and important, like any kind of crisis, say like, uh, or not necessarily crisis, but say like um, you have to pick your kids from school and you know that it's urgent. Like you can't just let them wait for three hours. Like I know some parents have done, <laughs> friends of mine. And so like, it's urgent and it's obviously important for you because it's your kids or say like you got to pick your guru from the airport you can't be just like well i'll do it a little later i think he'll be fine he can chant a couple hundred rounds when it, while he's waiting and then there's also like deadline driven projects any anything that you know is important for your values and and like uh principles but uh that you know you have to do there's a deadline for it it's urgent it's pressing on you and then the second um quadrant is this very like important stuff but not urgent so like for example what I, what we are doing right now at least what you guys are doing right now is important i hope important but not urgent like you you're coming on zoom and you're really trying to learn things so that you can live a better life and you can uh, practice bhakti better which you know all of us hold as the highest goal in life and so, so that's one example of the uh, important but not urgent things. And other things would be like uh, prevention, like you, you think, uh, think ahead that like, so you avoid being in the, in the quadrant one square of like crisis after crisis, or you exercise and have a good diet because you know it's gonna be uh, good for you in the long run and you, you like prevent conditions that are going to decrease your life uh, span and your the quality of your life and like chanting is a perfect example of of the quadrant two important but not urgent activity like a lot of times unfortunately when we get busy and we don't have enough time the first thing that may fall off is chanting and that's that's very unfortunate but that's just how it is because the urgent things press you on us so much that we kind of have to make these quick decisions and then the third uh, here in the left bottom corner, the third quadrant is the not important, but urgent stuff. And so interruptions, are, that's a good example. Like you're doing something important, but somebody calls you, you know, I get these calls all the time from India, like, hello, we're from Apple support. You, your computer has been hacked. And then they try to get my password, you know? So that would be very unimportant, but urgent because you have to pick up the phone when somebody calls. And another example is like anything that like are not fully in line with your like deep core values and, and uh, principles, but somebody like a friend calls and really wants you to do something that you're not interested in, but you feel like because 
you want to please them and you don't want to get into an argument or something, you want to be a nice person, you agree to it, but it's not important, although it's pressing. And then the last quadrant here is quadrant four, which is, uh, uh, let's just say that social media mostly is like the perfect, perfect example of quadrant four activity. Like it doesn't contribute anything to your actual like mission in life or your like highest values but it's really pleasant to do and it's so easy to do because this is like immediate gratification this is really kind of like the pleasure seeking quadrant here at the bottom and when i was looking at this i all of a sudden, sudden realized yesterday that this actually falls pretty neatly into the idea of the three gunas in the in the hindu system and you could say that the quadrant for one is obviously that's like rajas. You like you 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 get things done. You like react to things that happen. You immediately get it done. And that's like a clearly like a rajasic approach to life. Of course, we always have. We're not. We can't like do away with this quadrant in life, but we can diminish it. But I'll talk about that later. So like the first quadrant is rajas. Then the second quadrant obviously is is sattva and beyond when it's chanting. But just as a principle, you could say it's sattva. It's like you think ahead and you have this wholesome understanding of who you want to be and and the activities that are not urgent but you know are like greatly going to support your uh life as a wholesome sadhaka and and like a satisfied person overall and then the not important urgent quadrant here the quadrant three is is uh like a mixture of the urgency, which is the rajas, but also since it's not important, but yet you just do it because it's pleasant and easy. So it's a mixture of rajas and tamas. And then the activities that don't contribute anything to your actual well-being and your values, that's that's pure tamas. And this is another one of these like kind of like visual, I say, or visual uh cues or ways of structuring your understanding of of your life that has greatly helped me like i'm doing some activity i'm like like what quadrant is this in it seems kind of weird maybe i don't know but like like just having these like practical ways of kind of like categorizing based on your values and what you want to accomplish these tools of like categorizing your behavior behavior and checking in with you yourself if you're on the right track this this one diagram for me has been like extremely useful in that way in like keeping my life organized in a way that i feel like totally supports what i want to achieve in this life and uh i just just to make the the principle clear i want to give you a, a an example of a situation that has all those different quadrants and the example of, of it is me helping Guru Maharaj getting on Namras's podcast. It's a hypothetical situation that will come actually to fruition on the 3rd of October next month. But anyway, here's a, this is like hypothetical idea. So we've agreed to having Guru Maharaj on Namras's podcast on the 3rd. And then so the day starts approaching, but I'm so busy with everything that I, you know, I just run from one thing to another. And then when the third morning of the 3rd comes, I realized that I'm running late and I start panicking. I start putting the video camera together and all the lights and like, you know, Gormach computer to make sure it's all connected. And I'm freaking out. My hands are shaking. I'm trying to figure out like, oh, what's the password? Where, where am I going to go with this thing? And uh, sure enough, I can't get the mic to work. The, the mic is a, there's no sound. And I'm completely stressed out. There's five minutes until, you know, prime time. Can't get it to work. And then 
the time comes to go go live, I somehow fix it. I don't know even what I did. I just tried everything in my panic, you know, and somehow it worked. And then it's prime time. And five minutes into the show, the sound cuts off. And I start panicking again. Like I started like trying everything out. Don't know what's going on here. And then my phone rings. And there's my god brother calling, you know, I, I think I have an idea what it might be because he's watching it at his home streaming it. And he's like, yeah, I think I have a, I have a good feeling about this. Uh, my horoscope for this month was saying that I'm going to break a big case. And I think this is it. And I'm like, oh, God, well, what was that? Oh, it was from the People magazine. OK, great. So he gives some, you know, take the batteries out. And I'm like, dude, there are no batteries in this uh, in this camera. And OK, then the guys, like, I just hang up. And I start rushing again. And then I realized, oh, I hadn't plugged in the boom mic. So I, that was it. Bam. We're back online. Okay. We have sound. But the whole thing has made me so stressed out that instead of like paying attention and, and you know, overseeing the whole thing, I just collapse in my chair and I pull out my phone and I start doing the movement. Then everybody knows what it means. You start scroll, scrolling, scrolling, just to get your mind off of the insane stress uh, and anxiety that you're feeling and so i get some relief from it um and i am able to kind of like escape the situation but because i'm not paying attention the camera starts blinking and then all of a sudden the whole thing the screen goes out and i forgot to plug in the the camera because i wasn't paying attention because i was too distracted by everything else and then so that kicks me back in the beginning of like in going around in a panic trying to figure out how to fix it. And this is pretty obvious what, what's going on here. So, of course, the, the fact that I'm helping Gromach being on the podcast itself is quadrant two. It's not urgent in itself, but it's extremely important for me. And then the panic of of like trying to get the whole thing working is extremely important and ex extremely urgent. So that's quadrant one. And then my god brother calling, uh, <laughs> that would be quadrant three. It's urgent. The phone's ringing. I pick it up, but it's completely unimportant because he doesn't have anything uh, useful to say. And then the scro scrolling would be the quadrant four, where I just like sink into this like uh, mode of ignorance because I have to get an escape from the situation. And then what happens is it perpetuates itself because I fall into the, the quadrant four it kicks me back in the quadrant one of important and urgent because I wasn't paying attention that something else was going down bad in the going badly in the uh, streaming. And I just wanted to make a disclaimer. <laughs> when this actually happened on the previous uh, Namras podcast, it did not have anything to do with me. I'm washing my hands. It was something completely unexpected that I could have not, in either quadrant, I could have not figured it out beforehand. So anyway, I've been uh, acquitted. And then, um, then the question I want to ask you guys is, what would have happened if, uh, in the above example, if I would have uh, really focused, if I had like this quadrant two lifestyle? Let's hear from somebody. Let's see. I'm gonna just like randomly pick somebody from here. Gordon Ryan. How would have the situation been different if I would have focused on the quadrant two uh, lifestyle? Yeah, 
well probably would have hmm. For some reason i can't hear you let's see here let me try it how's that i can have a now okay now i can hear you okay yeah um well you, you probably would have caught the battery flashing or the light flashing on the camera <laughs> yeah but why would i have caught it if i was in quadrant two in the like that mindset of doing the important things, but not the origin. Um, well, you just probably would have been looking around at everything, checking over to see what needed to be done mm -hmm. and just making sure that everything was working the way it should. Right. So I guess the, the really crucial thing is that I would have managed my time in a way that I would have not uh, had to rush in the first place like that I would have like made enough time for myself to actually have enough time to check that everything's okay with the setup. And, but when you like live for one crisis to another, which I've done for years before, then you don't really have time to prepare for anything. You just react to whatever happens. You jump from one thing to another. And uh, that's then that's what happens. You make a lot of mistakes. Um, let's see here. But the thing is, of course, like when we live from one crisis to the other, it's um, it's kind of hard to find time to really focus on um, the preventative stuff and the long-term planning, which is like a crucial part of living in that quadrant two. And um, the thing is like, you kind of have to pull from the, the not important section of the, the four uh, quadrants of your time. So then you, you, there's like a lot of us, uh, many of us unfortunately spend a lot of time in quadrant four, these like useless activities because we're so stressed out from our lifestyle of like always just putting out fires and living from crisis to crisis that we need some kind of uh, relief. So then it's hard to pull from quadrant four, but that's really what we kind of have to do in the beginning because we haven't organized our lives in a way and we don't have time to organize our lives in a way that uh, that would be that would kind of build up on itself in terms of of uh, having more foresight and uh, being able to kind of uh, what's the word i guess foresee the possible problems that might be coming in the future and so that's one way of finding time. Another way of finding time that's very tricky is to prioritize within the important things. And I'll give you an example of, of what happened to me. Um, two weeks ago, Sri Padmarat Maharaj uh, contacted me about this uh, project that he's doing. Um, he's basically having different people from our Sangha and his other, I, I'm sure other devotee friends as well, go through all the books of Bhaktivinoda Thakur, because there's this, I'm sure you're aware of it, this ongoing uh, debate uh, about the, the inherency of, the, of Bhakti and uh, whether Bhakti is inherent in the Jiva or not. And so he wants to, and there's this one devotee called uh, Sundar Gopal from the Narayana Maharaj's group who, uh, Brought in, uh, brought out some interesting information about Bhaktivinoda's views on this topic. So anyway, to make a long story short, Padmanabh Maharaj asked different people to go through different books of Bhaktivinoda and and look for all the references to this subject in the books. And so he asked me to do that as well. And I knew when he asked that I had way too much to do already. And uh, and uh, 
I knew that I shouldn't agree to it, but I'm a bit of a people pleaser, as you might know. And uh, I really considered what I should do. And somehow, because I, I felt it is an important thing. I mean, it's massively important in a lot of ways. I figured, well, I'll, I'll just do it. I'll just like ram it in my schedule somehow. And so then two weeks later, a few days ago, Badmanabhaj writes me and he's like, yeah, do you have the notes? And I'm like, well, <laughs> I don't have the notes. And uh, so he gave me an extra week. But really what I did there was, there were two important things. But my, the most important thing for me is my seva to my Guru Maharaj, because I live with him. I'm very close with him like that. So like that is, that is my hub of, of, uh, of being a sadhaka. But Badmanabh Maharaj's thing was also very important. But they, they, there's two levels of importance for me personally. I'm not saying overall, but uh, for me personally, I should have kept my focus on my service to Guru Maharaj and like nicely told Padmanabh Maharaj, and unfortunately, I can't do it this time. But it gets extremely tricky when it's two important things. So that's what I'm, my point here is that it's much easier to try to pull from your quadrants three and four, which are the non-important things. One is urgent, but not important. And one is uh, unurgent and unimportant. So for example, the urgent, but not important, we really have a lot of people because we're focused uh, in terms of like social dealings and our status in these social circles, we have a really hard time saying no to people because we're not fully driven by the, the deeply uh, internalized values and principles. Uh, I suffer still from this uh, problem a lot. I've gotten a lot better, but like it's so easy to just, because it's the immediate thing that somebody's asking you something, but then your, your deepest values are not an, or urgent, but they're important. So it's so easy to just push that uh, unurgent thing aside, although it's much more important than the urgent, but not important. This is getting a little complicated, but I hope you follow. So anyway, like it's so easy to just say yes, yes, yes to everything that is actually not very important to you because it's pressing and you know this, there's this whole social thing and you wanna be liked and you wanna basically portray a certain image of yourself to the social circle and to, to your social world. But really, we, we have to start saying no to people asking for things if it's not important to us. I mean, not everything, but like, you know, as long as if it like starts um, contra contradicting our deeper values and what we want to accomplish on that level, then we have to say we have to learn to say no. And we really have to learn to say no to the quadrant four stuff of like useless time wasters like social media if it doesn't in any way support your uh, values and what you want to accomplish in life we got to start like really uh, weeding out that kind of behavior with that discipline but it's it's extremely important that we feel that the values that we have are like fully ingrained and like fully uh, integrated to like who we actually are because if we don't have that then we will not have the discipline to actually go through with uh, with sticking to our prom promises to ourselves, basically. And um, in that connection, I wanna do a little quick poll here. Let's see, another uh, screen share. Oops. Where is it?
Oh, here it is. Okay, so if you feel comfortable, please respond in the chat section with the number. So the question is for the ones that don't see this um, screen. The question is, if you were to fault yourself in one of these areas, which would it be? One, the inability to prioritize. Two, the inability to organize around your priorities. And three, the lack of discipline to execute around your priorities and organization. So let's see what you guys think about that. Just uh, put a number in this chat and let me get this. Oh, I can't see the chat as long as I'm doing the screen sharing. So I will have to wait for a little bit. Oh, sorry about that. Okay, we will probably not get a comprehensive cut of what people in general think. So far, we have only three answers, <laughs> three replies. I'll wait for a couple minutes, seconds more. Okay, we have four votes so far. Maybe that's good enough. It might not be more than that. Okay, so let's see what we have here. People say two and three, 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 and three. And this is really common. Most people think like that. And I would have answered the same way. But then when you really familiarize yourself with the whole process of like what we've talked about, the class one, two, and three, a lot of the times what it turns out to be is actually um, that we haven't gotten completely clear on our deepest values. Because say like if you go back to the exercise of, of being on your deathbed and regretting that things you didn't do, or no, no, not deathbed, but you know you have one hour, one uh, year to live, you're not going to need any discipline to do what you want to do because you so much identify with your core values. I don't know if you know what I'm saying, but to me, this makes a lot of sense. Like if we are really interested in something, which means that it's our core value that we really, really identify with that value, we don't need discipline. Like there are kids, like say like my, uh, my nephew, he's uh, he eight, eight or nine years old and he's an amazing chess player. And it's like, like he didn't need discipline to learn it because kids don't really have discipline. He just really loved playing chess, you know? And, and so really when this question of like, what is wrong with us? Cause we can't, you know, get our lives together <laughs> to put it coarsely. Really, I think it's so important to focus on this. The thing we talked about in the second class, like how do we integrate? And for us as sadhakas, it's especially tricky because we know intellectually that we wanna be basically pure devotees. We wanna be devotees first and foremost. But we don't actually feel that in our hearts. And that shows from the, in the way that we actually live our lives and like what we focus on in our lives. So to really live a principle-centered life, we somehow have to figure out how can we integrate the devotee personality to our embodied, that person that we are in this world. And I guess you could say that sadhana bhakti, that's what it's all about. 
like we basically imitate devotees fake it till you make it like guru Maharaj said this to me when i was a young brahmachari I, I went up to him and i was complaining about my mind or something and i think he just said like yeah you gotta sometimes you just gotta fake it till you make it and for me it wouldn't work for everybody don't you know take don't take that as this like Prabhupada said kind of thing but in that situation for me that was great advice because i actually did it and it worked on so many levels not that I'm like, you know, completely integrated or anything. I'm not saying that at all. But like an example of like deity worship, I did not used to like deity worship when I joined. I, I had this gyan tendency. I, I just, deity worship seemed weird, to be honest with you. And I didn't understand it. But just by being in Audaria for years, now I do the puja like every day and I love it. It's like one of my very fav favorite services. And that just came from faking it until I actually made it in that way. So, so, but then, of course, we, at the same time, I don't want to say that, like, the way to integrate this devotee side and this, the embodied side of us is to just, like, fake it as long as it takes to get, you know, I mean, in some ways, that's, that is the process, but we, we can't, like, just, like, act like we're pure devotees, because, first of all, it's really a pain to be around people like that, and second of all, it doesn't really work, so, um, the point I wanted to just make with this whole thing that I've been talking about for the past five or 10 minutes is that um, really we got to put in the work uh, to understand what we actually want. And then if that, those wants are not in line with devotion and we really want to be really serious and good sadhakas, then how do we bridge that gap? And that could be like so many classes in itself. So I can't go too deeply into it. But um, I find every time, every class now that I, there's so much to say that I don't get everything out that I wanted to say. I want to talk about this whole uh, thing about how to actually live that quadrant two lifestyle. But I just, I simply don't have time for it anymore. And I want to, I don't want to like take too much of your time because this is uh, kind of a lot to take in, I think. So um, I think I'm just going to, end here with that thought of of working on understanding our paradigms and understanding what we want and then once you figure that out then you can go to the seven habits and read that section about how to actually put it to work in our everyday lives there's a lot of good stuff and like practical tips about how to actually make it work in your everyday life but yeah i'm going to stop here for today and i thank you for your attention and if you guys have any questions or comments as usual please let's hear them okay somebody's got his hand or her hand up how can i know who it is oh sorry to say Haribo. Okay. Nice to see you. Yes. <laughs> nice to see you. I hope you can see me. Um, what was the last thing we were talking about? I had, I had about, something I wanted to say. <laughs> was it about integrating the, the devotional? Uh, yeah. 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 Um, I, I just managed to somehow do that this summer. 
Yeah. I've been in in an empty house. My father passed away, and I've been living in an empty house in England. My mm. my husband's back in Canada, right where yeah. I live, and so I've been trying. I've just basically been working so many things out and mm. integrating the lifestyle, you know. And that's been part of my. I had a health and lifestyle consulting business after my PhD in stress research. Whoa. Man, and so, you should be giving the class. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just so into this. I'm really into this whole oh, yeah. subject. That's just, um, you know, why I'm talking now, because That's I great. started to really enjoy this whole thing that we're talking about, integration of those two things. Yeah. And um, it's, it's amazing that once, mm -hmm. you know, I think once I went with something, anything that really inspired me or something that really enjoyed, I enjoyed within my sadhana practice. Yeah. That really got me going and fired yeah. up. Yeah. You see, because that gets your right brain going. Your, yeah. And then if your right brain is going with the emotions of the, you know, feeling good about this, right. you know, for me, it was singing bhajans at night. Right. Mm. And so I've got a lovely melody, you know, so I'm thinking of the Lord and Radha and everything. And it gets me going. So I, then I have a good night's sleep. And then in the morning, I have these lovely, you know, creative thoughts, <laughs> whatever. But um, I'm, things just started to happen in my lifestyle mm. because of that. You know, sometimes, as, as you know, you know, with your... With, if you if you if really inspired one day, especially by a class with something within you know within your life, your, your faith, whatever you're doing, your practice, um, and then you you start to get stimulated, you know. Yeah. And I think that really does every now and again, you know, that really helps. I think to do what and all these things fall into place sometimes. Yeah. And your relationships are better. You know, it may just happen for a little while and fall away until you <laughs> start to get stimulated by something else again. But but because I kept this up all summer, all summer, mm. May, June, July, every night with these budgets, mm. it was just amazing. I just felt so good. My relationships, even with non-devotees, started to, <laughs> because yeah. I had to, I was separating devotees and non-devotees, especially around here. There's no temples, nothing. It's mm. like a, a wasteland. <laughs> I always thought it was a spiritual wasteland here. Mm. So I was wondering, what am I going to do this whole summer? You know, trying to think, detach myself from this house because it has to be sold. I had to ship everything back out to Canada. I have to detach myself. There's forest fires in Canada. I may lose my house there. So I, I was facing losing both my homes this <laughs> summer. Um, but still, despite all of that, I, I went with what inspired me. I went with what got me going. The beauty of, you know, these bhajans. And so, you know, that's, that's kept me afloat. But I, I don't know. It, now, do I have to keep doing that? every night for the rest of my life or is there going to be something else that comes along that's going to inspire me right. i don't know but it doesn't matter it's really something positive and then my then it's not as you say a reactionary lifestyle anymore yeah. because that's a negative lifestyle it's not positive right and so you know that helps with that i did a stress management diploma after doing the science of stress i had to do biochemistry of stress because i was a biochemist medical biochemist so i was looking at stress and disease but once i started to do the these things that you know this more psychology and everything else that, you know um 
then I started to link it with my my sadhana practice. You know, everything I learned as mm-hmm. a just as an academic subject, I started right. to put it into my, and it became more exciting yeah. when I put it into my Krishna conscious lifestyle and devotee friends, and it it just you know putting those uh, gray mundane <laughs> topics, just putting them into Krishna consciousness and putting them into my practice. It just brought color to them and it was just lovely. I'm just saying I had an amazing experience, <laughs> which is completely unexpected. You know, on the death of my dad, I thought I'd come into this house, spend five months just in grief, just, mm. you know, not being able to practice. Right. But it suddenly became the other way just because I went with what inspired me and I was singing these budgets and that was it. <laughs> I'm just letting you know that that's an experience I've had. I don't know if it helps, but Oh, that's, that's beautiful. I mean, it's so nice to hear like success stories because a lot of times you're struggling (laughs) so much, right? Up till now, five months anyway. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's fantastic. And what you said about how you kind of brought the, your academic side together with your devotional side that I really resonate with that. And I think that's exactly what I was kind of like poking at earlier is that, that we have to somehow do that as long as it doesn't compromise our devotional life because that's when we get excited about things because it makes sense to us like on every level and that what i'm doing with this whole like reading about habit formation and and this like the seven habits stresses this like principle centered life that you kind of organize everything around that those things have like so much helped me be a better sadhaka and be more like a steadier sadhaka and that it's it's very sad to me that people dismiss things like that just based on the fact that they're so-called mundane. Like if you think about like the Goswamis, like 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 Rupa Goswami used this like so-called mundane Ras theory to like explain all of Gaudiya Vaishnavism basically, because he had the right center. Like it was all about Ras, and he used this other thing that wasn't, you could say, not his original thing to explain this amazing philosophy, and. There's this book called, it's by these two Stanford professors called uh, Designing Your Life. I don't know. Have you heard about that book? No, I don't think so. Yeah. The reason I'm mentioning that book is because they are talking about what you just said, that when you follow your inspiration, basically like when you follow, they talk about the flow state, like you trying to track your days and you figure out what puts you in the flow state. And then you try to replicate that as much as you can without killing the goose, basically. Like you replicate that flow as much as you can when it's like integrated to the rest of your life. And that's, in my opinion, like such a brilliant idea of like staying full, uh, staying like inspired and also figuring out who you actually are because the flow state doesn't lie. You can't force a flow state. For those who don't know what a flow state is, it's that state when you're like completely kind of aligned with your environment and with your, like your internal sense and your external world is aligned. Like say, like if you're really fanatical, um, you know, snowboarder, you get into the flow when you're going down the slope or something like that. So then like in terms of devotion, that's exactly what you, I guess you did. You you found your flow in the bhajans and then you just followed that and it, it made everything in your life better not just everything your life. everything yeah. is so unexpected you know and it's so simple in a sense right. but right. in a sense it, it's still amazing you know yeah yeah really thanks so much for that that's okay that's really all right cool. all right and uh, you know the next i want to say one thing 
the last class is going to be about habit formation and stuff. So since you have like so much, so much knowledge about all this stuff, I'm going to tap you a little bit on this one. <laughs> so be ready to be the, you know, the ex expert commentator on that one. <laughs> okay, try. <laughs> Thank you. Great. Well, thanks so much for that. That was Hare Krishna. Okay. Jai. Anybody else? I know it's hard to come on after that comment, but if somebody has any any comments, please let's hear. Well, I guess we've covered. It's already nine nine forty here, so I think we've covered enough ground. Uh, one, let me stop the recording because I have an announcement. But um, 